Hello and welcome to the first podcast from the White Code Underground. As this is our first podcast, you should expect it to be full of errors, both vocal and technical. Content errors will not improve as my podcasting becomes more fluid. This is the very first podcast that will be available from the Denialism blog at scienceblogs.com. The web address is scienceblogs.com slash denialism. So, once again, welcome. Uh, I'd like to introduce our guests, but I don't have any today since this is a, our first and experimental podcast. Uh, our sole guest is myself, Dr. Peter Lipson from Denialism Blog. I also write at sciencebasedmedicine.com, a great site that I encourage you to go to full of terrific writers. I don't happen to be one of the terrific ones, but uh, there are some terrific ones there. I promise you won't be disappointed. I've gotten some interesting feedback from some of my uh, friends and some of my colleagues about the writing over at Denialism and also over at my original blog, whitecoatunderground.com. And actually, as long as we're talking about it, also at scienceblogs.com. And that particular complaint is, love your blog, don't understand it. Now, of course, that leads me to believe that they're simply trying to be nice, because if they don't understand it, what is it that they love about it? Could it be the uh, great pictures? Mm, probably not. So I'm guessing it's a little bit simpler than that. I tend to write a number of different kinds of pieces. Some are more technical. Some are uh, more about various medical problems. Some are debunking uh, improbable medical claims, but some are more what might be classified as human interest stories drawn from my experience as an internist. It's these that are the most popular with uh, my friends and family and perhaps with some of our readers, uh, but they are not the daily blog fodder that we put out every day. Human interest type stories tend to take a lot more energy and time to put out. But given that they're popular, uh, we'll try to put a few more of them out there for you. What this is all leading to is the content of the podcasts. Rather than boring you on your way to work with uh, deeply technical stories, uh, I'd like to get into some things that I'd say a higher percentage of people could really relate to. And one of those topics that I'd like to start with today is, why are doctors jerks? Now, the statement itself, of course, uh, begs the question, are doctors in fact jerks? Well, certainly some must be and some must not be. But there is uh, a general perception that doctors are arrogant and that doctors don't listen, that doctors don't spend enough time with patients and uh, generally uh, are jerks. I've actually uh, dug around a bit looking for data on this, surveys, etc., and it's terribly hard to find anything uh, reasonably useful. So uh, I'm going to go by some of the discussions that we've had online. There was a long discussion uh, over the past couple of months, sometimes rather heated, between uh, myself and some other bloggers about the jerkiness of doctors. A number of us over at Science Blogs are physicians, including my blog mate Mark H. and ORAC of Respectful Insolence. This came to a particularly unpleasant uh, pass a couple of months ago when 
one of our colleagues at the blog known as Drug Monkey uh, intimated, or more correctly stated quite forcefully, that uh, physicians were inculcated into a culture of arrogance from a very early point in their training. Uh, the discussion, of course, rapidly descended into what online is known as a flame war, and uh, little useful came out of it early on. As you might imagine, we physicians defended ourselves rather forcefully, and uh, the folks on the other side of the discussion uh, made their point rather forcefully as well. Uh, one of our uh, fellow writers over at scienceblogs.com, who goes by the blogging nim Physioprof over at Drug Monkey Blog, was um, one of the people with whom we were engaged in this discussion. Now, I'm not going to defend uh, any of the uh, heated rhetoric on either side, uh, but I will note that if you're interested, you can find it <laughs> still residing online. What I'm much more interested in doing is exploring some of the valid points that did come up. First of all, I'd like to say that among patients who actually are allowed to choose their physician, most patients do seem to like their physician. This is completely anecdotal, so don't yell at me for uh, giving you an anecdote rather than data. As I told you, there isn't a whole lot of data to go around. But uh, even among people who like their doctors, they still seem to have a uh, sense that the rest of the doctors are arrogant. I'm using the word arrogant as a stand-in for other negative terms. Uh, usually, uh, these terms do not include things like malodorous or evil or sadistic. It usually boils down to something resembling arrogance. Now, from an insider's perspective, different medical specialties have much more a reputation for, uh, shall we say, unpleasant behavior than others. This is very stereotypical, but behind many stereotypes is a touch of truth, certainly. Uh, surgeons have always been stereotyped as arrogant, uh, and uh, psychiatrists perhaps as a little weird, and neurologists as very smart, but not very involved. There's all sorts of stereotypes that float around the medical field, uh, most of which aren't particularly true for any single physician, uh, but, uh, you know, they give us something to tease each other about. I consider these stereotypes to be just, you know, silly and fun inside jokes and not really helping uh, illuminate the picture of whether we as physicians are failing to come across to patients in a sympathetic and uh, useful way. In order to explore this issue uh, of the accusation of arrogance, uh, first let's look at what the problem uh, of arrogance is. Arrogance can be a, a big problem in that it's perceived as a wall between the physician and the patient. And while certainly some barrier has to exist uh, in a physician-patient relationship, uh, this barrier has to be porous. The patient and the physician have to be able to communicate. And if the patient feels belittled, or they feel that they have to climb a cliff of intellectual arrogance in order to reach their physician, there will not be a good relationship, and the patient and the physician are not going to have uh, a uh, productive relationship. 
as a physician, you have to be able to convince people to do things they might not otherwise wish to do. So a good relationship has to exist between physician and patient. In addition to this uh, physician-patient relationship, arrogance can also cause unpleasant and unsafe situations in other settings. For example, in a hospital setting, if the staff is hesitant to confront a physician about a about an order or a decision because they're afraid the physician will lash out or behave in other uh, unproductive uh, in an, in other unproductive manners, this uh, can be very detrimental to patient care. The nursing staff in a hospital are the they're the people who most directly care for the patients, and a physician if a physician is not able to listen to them, uh, then uh, the patient isn't going to get the same level of care that they should expect. So now that we've effectively established that arrogance, or whatever that term may encompass, is not good for uh, patients, uh, where does this charge come from? What does it mean? This requires looking back at medical history a little bit. There are a number of ethical precepts in medicine which have been studied, and and these have changed over the years as our society has changed. Uh, The old model of medicine, which perhaps still lingers a bit, is the one of paternalism. The doctor is the expert who knows best, the patient is the supplicant who comes before the doctor, is given instructions, and sent on their way to follow the instructions. Uh, There is no questioning, there is no discussion, there is no interplay. You are to take this pill, you are to take it three times a day, you are to return in a month, and uh, at that point you will receive further commands. And this type of uh, model of paternalism in medicine is uh, largely being replaced by one that takes into account patient autonomy as a uh, more perhaps co-equal or even more important value. Uh, This value recognizes that the patient actually has something valuable to bring to the discussion, uh, which shouldn't surprise us given that it's uh, their health that's on the line and not that of the physician. Now, both of these uh, concepts can be taken too far. Obviously, paternalism, when taken too far, leads to a uh, an extremely unequal relationship in which a physician may not take into account a patient's needs properly. Uh, a model that relies too much on patient autonomy may forget that the physician actually is an expert and that the patient has come to the physician for advice, not for a list of uh, options from which to choose. Uh, The best of us try to combine both of these values in our practice, but uh, obviously we all fall short at one time or another. I believe that this expert status and a certain other factor that I'll describe to you really help contribute to this uh, perception of of physicians being arrogant. The other factor is uh, physicians' training. Uh, For those of you who don't know much about it, at least in the United States, uh, physicians' training uh, follows a particular course. One graduates from high school and goes to a four-year university. After obtaining a degree from a four-year university, one applies to and attends medical school, and from there one enters a residency program, which lasts anywhere from three to eight years, depending on what uh, field you end up specializing in. This type of training can create a very 
insulated life for the trainee. These uh, trainees were always the smart people in the class. Uh, they were always encouraged to uh, know that they were the smart people in the class. And they were always somewhat separate from uh, many of their classmates in uh, college, for example. There's often in the science classes in uh, undergraduate college years a division between the pre-medical students and the non-pre-medical students, with the pre-medical students developing a reputation as um, sharks of a sort, uh, looking just for the grade to get them into medical school, uh, versus the quote, real, unquote, science students who actually care about science. This is obviously a gross and often untrue stereotype, but uh, not entirely untrue. When we get these uh, young physicians uh, into our residency programs, uh, this is when we get an opportunity to see how they interact with real patients and with their colleagues and try to shape their personalities a little bit toward being People who can relate to people, because as we said earlier, a physician has to be able to relate to other people to do a very effective job. We don't always succeed at this. Uh, some personality traits are laid down f too early to uh, be changed, and uh, some people just don't have a personality that's um, nice. However, you know, most people who go into medicine are pretty friendly people. And uh, many of them go into it because they enjoy working closely with other people, in this case, patients. But getting back to the charge, uh, going back to this internet discussion that took place a few months ago, uh, it was um, stated by myself and some of the other physicians that we felt that the culture of arrogance was uh, being phased out of medicine, that it was consciously being rooted out and that young physicians were being inculcated into a more humanistic perspective, if you will. Uh, according to some of the people involved in the discussions, this was complete and utter bull. Uh, according to some of their experiences teaching medical students, medical students were still treated as the prima donnas and were being inculcated into a culture of arrogance. Now, this quickly degenerated into a he said, she said uh, sort of uh, discussion, which, of course, doesn't really go anywhere. But the conversation uh, was reignited by a recent New York Times article that talked about uh, badly behaved physicians, or physicians behaving badly, whichever you like better, and uh, gave a number of anecdotes from nurses and other staff uh, who felt that patient care was mm, jeopardized or impeded by physicians' misbehavior. Now, this article didn't really give much in the way of data, but uh, any of us who works in a hospital knows that this does occur. Uh, one of the big questions uh, in regards to this discussion is, is this the exception or is this the rule? And I can tell you as somebody who's been at this a while is that uh, the answer is both. Uh, it's very institution and departmental uh, and department uh, dependent. Some institutions uh, have a reputation for uh, for being somewhat malignant and others have a reputation for being 
very kind and uh, and uh, very comfortable institutions that uh, discourage bad behavior by physicians uh, do seem uh, from a anecdotal perspective to be better places for patients and for doctors and nurses as well. And this leads us uh, toward the topic of what it's like to be in a hospital, whether as a staff member or a patient. And I can tell you as somebody on staff at a very large hospital, a hospital tends to be like a small town or perhaps a large family or combination of both. Everybody sort of knows everyone else Everybody sort of knows how things work, and you begin to feel rather at home, and you get a feeling for who's dysfunctional and who isn't and who you can rely on and who you can call. This isn't true for a patient who's admitted to a hospital. A patient who is admitted to a hospital is a particularly powerless position. They're sick, and uh, they may or may not be able to communicate well. And if they don't have someone to advocate for them, they won't uh, be able to get the best care possible during their hospital stay. I'm not just making this stuff up. I do actually have some personal experience on both sides. I have a close family member who's in the hospital right now. And uh, I have to say he's probably getting better care because uh, his family is able to help advocate for him. We're able to pick the specialists who we think are the best. We're able to uh, negotiate through the strange personalities, uh, having worked with them closely. And uh, in general, uh, a patient who has a strong advocate is going to have a better hospital stay. And here's the crux of it. An arrogant physician combined with a helpless patient is a bad combination. This leads to the far end of the spectrum of paternalism, the doctor who knows everything dictating to the patient who knows nothing, presumably, what needs to be done. This isn't always a bad thing. If I'm on a ventilator, critically ill, I shouldn't be uh, trying to write down what my vent setting should be and dictating that to the critical care physician. Still, there are plenty of things that I might need to communicate, and given that I wouldn't be able to, I need an advocate to communicate for me. This will help level the playing field, so to speak, bringing some measure of patient autonomy into the physician-patient relationship. This isn't a trivial concept. The more helpless a patient acts, the more a physician may act to take control over the situation. Once again, this isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes a patient needs some very strong advice. However, it's always good if the patient is able to express their opinions, their preferences, their ideas. So this comes down to the question, is there a culture of arrogance in medicine? And my answer is still yes and no. There is, by necessity, a power differential between a physician and a patient. A patient is, in some ways, a supplicant coming to someone who is, in some ways, a high priest. A physician does have special knowledge that the patient does not have access to. No matter how much they Google, no matter how much they read, no matter how many people they talk to, they will not have the same level of knowledge as the physician. 
in turn, the physician isn't living inside the patient's body, isn't living in their house, doesn't have their family, doesn't feel their pain. So while this power difference exists, there must be ways to mitigate it, to bring the best of both the patient's and the physician's knowledge to the relationship. This is being actively done in medical schools around the country. Young physicians are being trained to, to put it bluntly, behave more like human beings. On another level, in hospitals around the country, physicians are being disciplined for behaving badly. Uh, it's uh, been uh, fairly widely known for a while now that it's not bad physicians who get sued the most, it's unlikable physicians who get sued the most. And hospitals do not want to open themselves up to litigation. Therefore, hospitals will talk to doctors who are behaving in an unlikable manner. So while in the past, uh, we may have quite purposefully inculcated physicians into being a, an arrogant guild, if you will. Uh, this is not the case anymore. There still exists a difference between physician and patient, and there always should be, but the training and education and bureaucracies of medicine are moving away from that in a slow and steady manner. And that's my opinion. I don't expect you to share every bit of it, but I would love it if you'd come and discuss it. I am going to open up a thread on the forum at whitecoatunderground.com forum for this podcast, and I invite you to come and discuss it. Now, as I did state previously, this is my inaugural podcast. I don't expect this to be the best, and I hope it won't be the worst. Actually, I kind of hope this is the worst. Uh, but I do expect to have guests on in the future. Uh, in the lineup, I hope to have a cancer survivor who has some very interesting stories. I hope to have some people who are quite close to me who may have some interesting perspectives, and perhaps other professionals and other bloggers. Meanwhile, thanks very much for listening, and I'll see you in the blogosphere.